You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. Guys, I'm so excited today. We have Dr. Sharon Somek on with us on the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. And I'm super excited because Sharon is actually a close personal friend of mine. And uh, I've been hunting her down to get on the podcast. And ironically, we're on a Zoom call right now recording the podcast, even though we live around the corner from each other. But it's cold here in New York. And I was like, I have an idea. Let's not leave the house. So Sharon, welcome to my podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. We're finally doing this interview too. Um, I think it's going to be great and I'm excited to share with your audience. Awesome. So there's so many reasons that I have you on here. First of all, um, before I start asking you questions, because I could dive into a thousand questions with you, um, tell everybody what you do and your area of expertise. So... um, I am a pediatrician who, after about 10 or 12 years in practice, um, made the scary but bold decision to leave clinical medicine and um, really help parents with their transition to parenthood and their parenting full-time. And um, there were a lot of things that led to that. I, you know, I loved practicing pediatrics, but I, of course, there were times I didn't love my specific job. I think everybody has those days. Um, but I I felt like what I was really best at and what I enjoyed the most about what I was doing was um, helping new moms with their transition into um, like that newborn phase and then helping parents of toddlers to even school-age kids with their parenting conundrums, we'll say, you know, those, those times where you feel like you're losing control, but you don't know how to regain it. And I found people were making appointments and saying their kids were sick just so they could come in and talk to me about their parenting. And, you know, suddenly a little cough would turn into a 30 minute discussion. And eventually I said, why, why not try to do this full time? Um, and I am very fortunate that I have a husband who's a saint and he was fully and completely supportive. And you know how it is. You start a new career and it takes a little time to figure things out. And so I needed him to be patient and understanding and supportive. And that's luckily and thankfully what I have. Um, and my kids are so much happier now too. You know, so I think everybody wins and, um, and I'm loving every minute of what I'm doing. And you, and you're qualified not only by education, but also real life experience. So can you tell everybody about that? Yes. So, um, I am a mom of four, um, very different daughters. (laughs) Um, my oldest daughter is 12 and in a lot of ways I feel sometimes like a first time mom when I'm parenting her because I've never parented a 12 year old before. Um, and while I, I have a lot of experience with teenagers, it's always is a little bit different when it's your own. And sometimes we get 
into these, you know, teenage girl hormonal moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, is this what the next five years are going to be like? (laughs) And then sometimes she really impresses us with her maturity and her responses to things where I know from experience that other kids her age would react very differently. And so I do feel proud that we are doing a good job with her, even though sometimes I feel like it's our first, you know, our first go around and it's a little tough. Um, I also have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old and a three-year-old and each of them are completely different and you're really doing things differently. I mean, I think that's the sign of a parent that really is paying attention, that is trying to modify their parenting based on the needs of their children. I think that I just want to mention your husband is a saint. I happen to be a big fan. <laughs> He's amazing. And uh, your kids are amazing. And, and I mentioned to my husband all the time about like how impressed I am with your children and your family dynamic and everything. Because I mean, obviously I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but you know, they are great girls and they have great heads on their shoulders. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm just always impressed by the calmness and the swiftness <laughs> that you react with them. Uh, and it's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is, um, you know, to talk about that a little bit, but also to talk about, like you said, making the transition and the work-life balance. And so let's back up sort of to that, to the business transition, and then we'll get into the kid stuff because <laughs> sure. we can talk about kid stuff all day. <laughs> yes. In fairness, Sharon also knows my kids, so... <laughs> And they're great. Don't let her fool you. Thank you. They are great. I love my kids, but man, they need a little Sharon Somek in their life. All right. So <laughs> let's talk about the transition. And, you know, in, I had a little bit of an inside view because we used to walk a lot and talk about being an entrepreneur and, and whatnot. How, are there anything, um, is there anything in your life that has changed? You know, it's, it's easy. I think entrepreneurs come on, on, we see it on Facebook and Instagram, like, oh, I create my own schedule and it's awesome. And I'm home with my kids and, you know, life is grand. And we all make ourselves look like we have, you know, $7 million businesses and, and whatnot. But we know the reality of it is it's really hard work to work from home. So is that, has that been a transition for you? And what have you found your challenges to be in that? Yeah. So definitely, I mean, from the very beginning, I used to tell people like, I work from home now. I'm working more than when I was working in the office, right? I was working part-time in the office. I had a great job. I was working two and a half days a week. When I was at work, I was on. And when I was home, I was home. And unless I was on call, I really didn't have any work responsibilities at home. Now, there, it, one of the main challenges I have is figuring out when to call it quits and say, okay, you know, I've worked a full day and now my kids are home. I need to be present with them. Or even if the kids aren't home, you know, I need some time for myself. It's not, I, I think it's, that's the biggest challenge. And I still am trying to figure it out, especially when you are trying to build a business and build visibility and connect with people on social media. And you feel in some ways Like if I'm not on Facebook 24 hours a day, I'm going to miss that client that would call me or that connection. And the reality is, yeah, I probably am going to miss a few of those if I'm not on Facebook 24 seven, but at the end of the day, there are more important things and it doesn't mean I'm going to miss all of it. And, and I need to be visible, but I also need to be present where I am. And Mm. that is where I think, um, 
the biggest challenges have been for me. And then honestly, like you said, everybody makes it seem like it's so easy. And, you know, I once, um, saw a thread on online and somebody said, what do you wish you knew? You know, I think we were talking about this the other day. Like, what do you wish you knew before you started your business? And the first comment was, I wish I knew it took 10 years to become an overnight, you know, success. Right. And, and that's the reality. And of course, you know, I've been in business now, um, officially less than a year and it, it is slowly, but, but it is picking up and more people are contacting me. So I do believe that, you know, it just, it's a matter of time and people hearing about you and knowing who you are and, um, and really just word of mouth and more and more FaceTime, whether it's on social media or in person. And that takes time to build. And the truth is, I think if you want to build it the right way, it should take time. And that's a lesson I kind of had to teach myself. Yeah. And that's pretty tough for somebody that's a type A personality. I mean, you have to have a little bit of type A in you, I think, to be an entrepreneur, period. I mean, how do you stay motivated every day to get up and work and and do what you need to do? Because it's so tempting sometimes, isn't it? To just be like, oh, I'll go to the gym or I'll take a walk or I'll do the dishes or I'll, you know, run an errand or whatever it might be. What keeps you motivated every day? Um, First of all, I know that even if I want to come 3.30, my day ends because I... I just, it, I don't find it so easy to work when they are home. Now, if I have something planned and scheduled and I need to, I usually leave the house before they even get home. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that a lot. And most recently, I just feel like, why am I doing that? The whole purpose of me taking a step back and and really doing this and pursuing this dream of mine part of that purpose is to feel like I'm able to be around more for them. And so... Um, when I only have five or six hours or less in the daytime, I really try to be very motivated and I try to forgive myself if I'm not one day, you know, and it does happen, right? There are days where you said my, the most challenging thing I think for me really is if, if I have things planned that could theoretically be done tomorrow and then you would call me and say, Hey, let's go for a cup of coffee. (laughs) Right. Where then it can very easily derail my day. But I try to remember that, you know what, like that's building a relationship in a different way. And that's self care for me. I enjoy that time and I need that too. So. Yeah. It's funny. I think we feel guilt over everything, whether we do it or we don't do it. We feel this guilt. I was just talking today with another photographer. So as we're recording this, it's the second week of January. So, you know, you would think we're all like back into business and working on those 2019 goals. And she was like, I don't know about you, but I only hit my desk yesterday, you know, for the, and I was like, yeah, me too. And I'm a mess. Like I have stuff I'm just like have paperwork everywhere. And I, and I just, and she said, you know, I maybe overdid it with my family time. And I said, no, but you see, you have to remember, this is why we do what we do because we, it gives us the flexibility to say, you know what, for three weeks, I'm going to blow everything off and then I'll come back to it. It'll be waiting for me. And it sucks in those moments. You're like super overwhelmed and, you know, taxes and all of that right now. Right. But at the same time, when I, when I feel that way, I also say, well, you know what? No, but I do this so I can have a cup of coffee, you know, or I do this so I can blow off work today and take the kids to the movies or, or whatever it might be. But it's finding that balance. You know, I talk about it in my book too, about how you can like feel that unbalance in your body. You know, you know, when you're not, when you're not in the right place. Yeah. And I think 
the the type A in you would prevent you from letting that go too long. And, yeah, totally. You know, um, I really trust myself that I will feel it and know it when I'm overdoing it in one way or another. Yeah, I guess it's always about listening to your intuition and coming back to that. So yeah. important. So, and I, and you know, I think it's really great also because you, especially because you have four daughters, that you're such a role model for them in that way that you took a chance. But what was your biggest concern when you took this risk of quitting your job? Like, what was your sort of, I'm curious about your back and forth and pros and cons? Yeah. I mean, I think that always there's a financial concern, right? And, and I think that was where I, I don't want to say I needed permission, but that was really where I looked to my husband to say, like, this is okay. We can, we can swing this <laughs> because we all know that it, it takes two, maybe three years to really get a business to be completely profitable. And I, I don't know if mistakenly, but I wanted to do things kind of like the right way, quote unquote. And so I spent money on a website and I spent money on all these things that in hindsight, I probably didn't need to spend so much money on those things, but I have them now and you know they don't go away once you do. But I wanted to make sure financially that we could swing all of that and do it the way I wanted to and I envisioned it. And then, of course, I think you always have that doubt of, you know, do people even want this? Is this really going to be profitable? Because I can, I do a lot that I don't get paid for and, <laughs> and I enjoy it and I love it, but there's only so long that you can do that for. Right. And at some point you either, you either quit, which I feel like would be a shame, you know, or you have to start figuring out a different way to go about it. Yeah. I think it's amazing. And I mean, I kind of, you know, I shout you to the, off the rooftops anytime somebody asks, because I think to be able to have somebody like you in the pocket, you know, to say, you know what, I need professional advice, but I also need the advice of another mother. Because the truth is we often go to doctors, like it's a different example, but when I went and I had my mastectomy and my plastic surgeon is telling me about how it's going to feel and he's a dude. And I'm like, you don't know how it's going to feel. Come on. You don't even know how having boobs feels. How do you know? <laughs> you know? And I always say you learn more in the in the waiting room from the other patients, right? Than you do actually from the doctor. But for you, it's totally different because you've ha you have the children and you do have very different children and you have the experience. So, you know, to have somebody like you in in the pocket in the moments where you're so frustrated is so valuable. I just think it's so amazing. Thank you. And that's why I actually have been really focusing lately on more one-on-one -on -one coaching where that is the case. So when I have a coaching client, they have my number and they can text me whatever questions they have. And I think that that is the sort of the draw, right? It's not just somebody who is going to give you advice because you can read about a lot of that stuff in a book. Um, and but it's advice and self-reflection and helping with relationships. And there's so much that goes into parenting that even when you're in it, you don't think about it. Um, yeah. And it is helpful to have that person that you can vent to whenever you need to. Yeah. And it's sort of like the closest thing to an instruction manual, right? Because kids don't come with instruction manuals. I wish they did, you know, but it's like, we're so emotional when we're parenting them too, that sometimes we don't see it. Like, you know, I'll find even sometimes like I'll connect with somebody else's kid in a totally different way than my own, you know? And I'm always like, I wish I could connect with my kid this way, but it's almost impossible because they're my kid, right. you know? So yeah, it's funny. It's like I said, I was having an issue with my older daughter. Um, 
like I said, she swelled and, you know, sometimes she talks to me in a way that I think she forgets that I'm not her friend that she's talking to and, and I'm actually her mom and I, I deserve a certain level of respect that I do a lot for them and they know that. And, um, and over the weekend I said, listen, like, I'm just not going to accept this anymore. So if you're going to talk to me, which I would love to talk to you, you're going to talk to me very differently than what you're talking, the way you're talking to me right now. And we happened to be help. So we were helping her bake a cake for her friend's mother's surprise party. Okay. So clearly not something I needed to do. Um, but I saw it as an opportunity to spend time with her and when she was being, you know, a 12 year old girl about it, I said, wait, hold on. I can throw this whole cake and the whole prep like in the garbage right now. And that's what I'm going to do. If you speak to me that way again, mm-hmm. I said, you know, you're a very mature, respectful girl. I have never, ever in my life heard you speak to anybody else's mother, the way that you just spoke to me and I'm not going to tolerate it. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, I know my kids know how to behave. Right, because they do it in the rest of the world, right? They do it in the rest of the world. (laughs) And and to be fair, they do it at home most of the time. And I don't expect any child to behave perfectly all the time. That's not realistic. It's not healthy. It's not, you know, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. But there are, there do have to be clear boundaries. And if we're not going to set them, they don't exist. Yeah, I that that is boundaries are something I'm very much struggling with right now with my 13 year old daughter. Uh, it's amazing. It's a, you know I wish I had the gumption and the uh, the bullheadedness that my daughter has at her age at my age. <laughs> no, I would know? never in my life. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't talk to my mother that way now. Forget what I no, was thinking. Me either. I mean, there are times where I'll like you know be a little off the cuff, and my mom will stop me. She'll say like don't talk to me like that. You know, we're good friends now. Right. Right. It's so funny. Let's talk about parenting for a second. Let's start with the little one and work our way up or, or as they're younger and work our way up for a second. I would love to know, I had two kids that did not sleep. And you know, when we got our dog recently, I was like, this dog better sleep because I'm due a child that sleeps. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, my daughter, she literally started sleeping through the night at nine and a half years old years. And she still calls me into her room sometimes at night. It's unbelievable. So I'm curious, what is the number one piece of advice that you have for children that don't sleep? And I mean, I realize every situation is different. Every case is different, but I read all the books. I read, you know, this, the happy baby, sleeping baby, whatever it was called. And, the, and the, you know, I don't remember what it's called because I was reading it at two in the morning. It didn't right. And, you know, I did the whole cry it out thing. And I did, I did all of that stuff. Sometimes now, even when my daughter doesn't behave, I'm like, it's because we let her cry it out. We created anxiety, <laughs> you know, like, but no. you know, <laughs> I'm curious, what's the number one piece of advice that you have for parents that struggle with sleeping babies? Yeah. I mean, I think this is, um, it's a really common struggle. And I think that the most common reason sleep is such a challenge for people is because, um, we develop sleep associations without even realizing it. And so the, probably the number one piece of advice that I would, I would give is to evaluate and try to really think about like what it is that your kids need to go to sleep and how can changing that make your life easier. And, you know, I'll give you an example in like the little babies, right? If you, there are so many babies that 
need to be nursed to sleep. And if we all wake up in the middle of the night, every single one of us, right? And we toss, turn, go back to sleep. Most of us don't even remember it in the morning. But when they wake up in the middle of the night, they can't fall back asleep because they need to nurse to sleep. Or if they use a pacifier, they need a pacifier to sleep, whatever it is. And so, you know, I don't think pacifiers are bad. I think it's fine if your kid needs a pacifier, no problem. But realize that until that child can put their own pacifier in their mouth, they're going to need help to go to sleep. Right. And so that's, I think probably those sleep associations are the number one, um, problem. And I can go on for three hours about how to fix sleep problems, but that is probably the first thing that I would look at. Yeah. It's, it makes sense when you hear it that way. It makes a lot of sense when you're not exhausted and crying over a baby that doesn't sleep. Right. But, and it, it is, it's really hard. I mean, my kids have never slept in my bed for a night because it's just, I don't sleep well that way. And my sleep is super important to me. Yeah. Um, but when my daughter once was really, really sick and I didn't want her to sleep alone, I slept in her room. I still, every now and then, one of my children will try to bait me. And I always say, like, don't take the bait because those things become habits so quickly. Yeah. It's so funny. That's like our number one rule. We do not let our children sleep in our bed. And I know so many people will say, what? It's so nice. And it's so, it's so cozy. And I, my answer is always to my children and to everybody else. I have that time with them during the day when we're awake. And, you know, for me also, I'm, I need my sleep or else I am not a good mom. And, you know, it's hard for me to be a good mom on a normal day. So forget, you know, I need my sleep. It's a sacred space for me, you know, and it's, it's a place I also put up boundaries and I'm trying to teach them too, that their bed is a sacred space and that their sleep is, is precious and that, you know, they need to respect that as well. I don't know for some reason it's tough, but it's a tough call. I get it. You're tired and you're like, I just want to take my kid in bed and shut him up and go back to sleep. Yeah. I mean, I see how it happens. It's so easy for it to happen. And we had a problem with my daughter when we came back from overseas and she was so lag and we're both tired. And, you know, I could see so easily how in those few days we could have created a problem that would have taken us a longer time to, to get rid of than it did to create. But we just were really like, I was just very stubborn, thankfully about it and said, no, like she's going to learn how to sleep again. And, and that's it, you know? And, yeah. and I think that's the other thing is when people sleep train their kids, they need to remember that it's not a one, one and done thing. It really is something that you need to be consistent about always. Yeah. I think the whole key to parenting is really suffering through the tough stuff, you know, just so that you can, um, get, you know, get what, you know, just like you said, to stay stubborn, to get to the goal, but it's tough. It's really tough. Let's, let's talk about for a second. Let's, let's move forward to toddlers. Let's talk about three nagers. Yes. <laughs> I have two nephews that are three nagers and uh, super different personalities. And, and I love them both very dearly and they could do no wrong in my eyes, but I know that their parents are like, what the heck? You know, like one nephew is definitely like very stubborn about leaving the house or putting on shoes and the other nephew, um, who happens to have an amazing vocabulary 
uh, still gets frustrated, even though, you know, he can't always express what he wants or, you know, he has a younger sibling. So that chemistry has changed over the last year. Um, and, and sometimes I look at them and again, I love them and I know my sister-in-law listens. So I love, 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 love my nephews. I don't want her to think any different, but sometimes I look at it and go, how did I do that? (laughs) I don't remember how I did that. And believe me, I did it. I mean, my daughter was a three-nager on, on, you know, speed. I mean, she. Yeah, I'm doing it now. And my fourth daughter is, you know, we always joke that my second daughter was really, really tough. And one day, you know, my husband said to me, he said, you know, our second daughter was like a hurricane, but our fourth daughter, she's like a freaking tornado. Yeah, that's what I call Talia. I call her the Talia tornado. Yes. <laughs> like, here Just comes the tornado. Not normal, you know? And, and the truth is, I think in some ways it's a sign of intelligence really. Um, and it's, you know, not to say like I have one of my daughters is really an angel and like, she's the reason she has a, another sister after her, right? <laughs> Otherwise we would only have three children. Um, but, but when they are being challenging and when they are being tough, I think it's important to just remember like that's their job, yeah. you know? And it's in some ways, the, the one thing that frustrates me about parents of toddlers sometimes is that um, we sometimes think things are just, they come in phases and we say, oh, well, this is, you know, terrible twos. It's just going to be a phase. And then suddenly it's like, you know, I have a three-nager. And then as my mother-in-law calls it, like now we're in the effing fours. And, you know, I always say like, well, the reason you're now in the effing fours is because you didn't you know, the terrible twos, terrible twos. Right. Yeah. And, but we think like everybody's going through it and it's just going to get better. And some of it will, right. But not all of it. And, and I think that that's where it's really important to evaluate like, what are strategies you could be doing to make things better in your day-to-day life. And, you know, just because a two-year-old is difficult or a three-year-old can be challenging doesn't mean that you have to spend every day of your life feeling like you're pulling, you're going to pull your hair out, right? There are ways to make that time better. Does that mean that my daughter never tantrums? Absolutely not. Of course she tantrums. But most of the time when I ask her to do something, she does it. Right. And so I, you know, that's the other thing is your perception of it. And you need to really think about, is it better more often than it's not better? Or is it really challenging all the time? And if it's really challenging all the time, get help. Hmm. So let's talk about temper tantrums for a second. My, I hate to blow her up like this, but my daughter at 13 still has them. She's <laughs> right. by, by the time she's old enough to listen, they'll be like, I don't know, they'll just be ingrained in your brain or something. <laughs> like you don't download stuff anymore, mom. My daughter always tells me, on your, don't talk about this on your podcast. <laughs> amazing. Oh, my daughter thinks she's my social media manager. She's like, she messages me one day on social media. She's like, do you have a merch page? And I was like, a merch page? She's like, you know, merchandise. I was like, oh my gosh, can you just finish school and come home and we'll talk about it when you get home? She's so funny. Um, So, you know, but she still has these sort of like, um, you know, yeah, I would call them tantrums. You know, I think that she in particular has a tough time expressing her feelings, which is hysterical as she's my daughter. Cause I'm always like, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what's happening. Um, but she's a little bit more closed down, you know, than, than I am. How at this, you know, in teenage years or older child, like after the, the toddler years go by and you have older children, you know, we, I have a, also a fourth grader, you know, as those tantrums happen, 
it's a different expectation, right? Because they're not three years old. So I, I think that she understands me when I say, if you blow up like this, I'm not going to communicate with you or I'm going to ignore you or things like that. But it's tough. You know, it's much tougher when they're older. Is something like that the proper way to handle, you know, in the moment when they're blowing up, is it okay to just say, you know what, take your space. I'm going to take my space. Let's just let this, you know, die down and then we can discuss it. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, that's how I deal with tantrums even in the younger years. But my nine-year-old is that is that child that still will have a full-blown tantrum if you say no to something that she doesn't want to hear no to. And I think it's a personality thing. And I think it's she just needs to learn how to accept um, the word no. And and we will talk about it when you're done with your tantrum. And I, I don't say it in a punitive way. I say, listen, you're having a tantrum right now. I understand that you need to have this tantrum to feel better, but I don't need to watch it. And so could you please go to your room and have your tantrum there? Mm. And that's the conversation. And then it's over because I'm walking away. So whether she's going to her room or not, I'm not going to witness it. I'm not going to give it any attention. Um, and then we talk about it. And I think there are ways to also motivate them to stop and think and tantrum less frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that it might take some reflection on, okay, like what are the situations that prompt you to have these tantrums? How can we change the way that we're dealing with those situations to make you cope with that better? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's really what it comes down to. It's their own coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if it's something that's disruptive, it needs to be addressed and changed. Right. If it's something that's not disruptive, but helps them, sometimes it helps to just scream into a pillow. Right. And, and, you know that, I know that. And sometimes it helps to run into your room and cry. And that's what you need to get through this moment. And that's going to help you then fine. I don't need to be a part of that. That's between you and yourself. But if it's an attention seeking thing, then let's discuss it and make it better. Right. And, and that is how I would handle it. Yeah. You know, it's funny, even uh, with my daughter, sometimes there's such an easy, easy fix and you don't even know. And so you ask, you know, like she would have a lot of temper tantrums in the morning and it was just like, and then finally one day she just said to me, you know, I feel pressure in the morning. You know, I always thought she wanted to sleep up until the last minute possible, you know, and then it would be like, all right, we got to go. We got to get out of the house. And she finally one day just said to me, it stresses me out, mom. Can you just wake me up 10 minutes earlier? And I was like, (laughs) Really? Because you didn't have to have a fit to tell me that, but okay, you know, if we're here now, that's fine. But sometimes it's just a simple fix, you know, and it's like, okay. An alarm clock for her next birthday. <laughs> Sharon, please, I have tried this. <laughs> I just said to her yesterday, I go, how many people your age do you think their moms wake them up? She had a friend in the car and her friend goes, my mom wakes me up every morning. I'm like, no, this is ridiculous. We should not be waking you up. But unfortunately where we are, like my yeah. Situation is the exception. <laughs> yes, but I was like, I don't understand. Like, my mom even says to me all the time, I don't get it. You set your alarm, you got yourself to school, you did your homework. Like, it wasn't, none of this was even a discussion. Like, where do these kids think that they have a discussion here? You know, like, well, I don't feel like doing my work now, or I'm not going to pack my own lunch, or I'm like, I don't know where they think they got these rights. Like, my daughter says to me all the time, This is a free country. I'm like, Not in my house, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sorry. <laughs> My dad used to say, this is a dictatorship. (laughs) I tell her that all the time. I'm like, this is a dictatorship. Call me queen mom right now because (laughs) 
This is not um, a free country. My mom used to say, write your senator. You know, if you don't think it's fair, write your congressman. That's what she used yeah. to say. <laughs> so I said to her, now, I go, mom, now people will write their congressman because they could just go online and look it up and just email them. <laughs> Those poor congressmen. <laughs> or how many times our poor town police, I'm like, I'm going to call the police. My, she'll say, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> You're a terrible mother. I'm going to call the police. I'm like, and tell them what? I didn't <laughs> listen to your temper tantrum. Arrest me, officer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was but like, they probably get called. That, it's a lot about, you know, setting expectations and setting boundaries. This morning, I, I called a friend in the morning because I had a funny story to tell her. And after about like five minutes on the phone, it was, it was 7.30-ish in the morning. She was driving to work and she said, how do you, how could you be on the phone with me right now? And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, your kids are getting ready for school. Like when my kids are getting ready for school, I cannot be on the phone with someone. And, and I looked around the house and I said, well, you know, my first grader's making her lunch and my fourth grader's preparing her snack. And, you know, somebody gave my three-year-old a a box of peas and she was happy eating. (laughs) And I said, it's one of those moments where I'm finally able to really do it, but it takes a lot of work to get there. You know, I mean, we didn't wake up one day and our kids knew how to get ready for school by themselves, but today they do. And, you know, some days I'm really lucky like today where I I don't know, my, usually my first grader does need to be woken up in the morning, but today she woke up by herself, came downstairs dressed and said, mommy, I dressed, you know, the little one. And I was like, really? (laughs) Okay. You know, and I gave her a reward for it. And who knows, maybe because I rewarded her tomorrow, she'll dress her again, you know, but that's not necessarily expectation. The expectation is that she get herself ready. She's almost seven years old. That's perfectly possible. Right. And, and I think we, as parents sometimes try to baby our kids a little bit because it makes us feel good. Mm. And it's one of those things that you, again, you need to find the right balance. Of course I do things for my kids. I love to do things for my kids, but I try not to do things for my kids that they can definitely do by themselves. Yeah. That's, that's the key. That's a tough one in my house. That's where the, that's where the fights come from. Um, But yeah, but it's, listen, it's great advice. And, you know, like I said, I've seen the ship and it's a tight ship and, and it's, (laughs) It's amazing. I want to ask you one question that's kind of off the subject, but I I was having a conversation the other day with some parents about this, and this is um, a conversation about bedwetting, and you know, at what point kids, it, at what point it becomes an issue versus just, um, well, it ha- you know it happens once in a while or whatever it might be. You know, at what point do you think that that is an issue? Is it a certain age? Is it a certain period of time? Is it, um, you know, we were having a conversation about it and, you know, so I just thought maybe I'd bring it up because I'm sure other people are curious too. Yeah. I mean, so there is obviously like an age where bedwetting is considered abnormal and by abnormal, I don't mean like it's a major issue, but right. it shouldn't be happening anymore. Um, and that age is actually somewhere between seven and nine, depending mm-hmm. on like girls tend to be a little bit earlier, but, but there are still lots of nine-year-olds that wet the bed here and there. And I think when it really becomes an issue is um, when they want to sleep out and they are embarrassed about this potential problem and they don't want to sleep out because, um, 
because they are worried that they're going to wet the bed. And then it causes them to have a lot of confidence issues. So it's, you know, the bedwetting itself is really not the problem, mm-hmm. um, as l- at least the way I see it, because, you know, quite frankly, if my nine-year-old would wet the bed, I would have her clean it up herself and, you know, and that's on her. But, um, but I think that it could really have a, a, a profound impact on confidence. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's when I would probably say if it's, if it's a problem, it doesn't look like it's getting any better. Um, there should be some medical evaluation. Um, and normally it's even when there's a medical treatment, it doesn't mean there's a medical problem, right? right. And that's what something like not everything that's treated with medication is necessarily a medical problem. I actually, um, interestingly, my daughter's first grade teacher, her sister is a pediatrician that does hypnosis for bedwetting. Oh, wow. Um, And I actually was thinking of having her on our show because I think it's really an interesting concept, Um, but it works. Um, There's lots of strategies you can use. You don't have to use medication. Most of the time when medication is used, it is in that situation where a child might wet the bed, but they want to go to a sleepover or things like that. It's not an everyday medication. Um, But I, I think if it's affecting your child's confidence, that's when you need to really address it because we don't want our kids to be you know, sort of scarred because of something that is, might have a solution. Right. Yeah. Great advice. And I think that that advice is probably for so many things that kids go through. Right. I mean, even I remember, um, we were talking about like, when do girls start shaving their legs? And, you know, like my mom made me wait forever. And I remember a friend of mine who was also a pediatrician said to me, if your daughter, the minute your daughter asks you if she can shave her legs, you let her because it's going to affect her confidence. I don't care if she's nine or she's 19. And I was like, wow, that is such good advice. So it's, it's really the same thing applies. Yeah, I struggled with that same question myself. Right. And then my daughter went to camp this summer and, you know, I, I happened to be at camp as a camp doctor after a couple of weeks. And clearly it was something that was bothering her. And she was like, you know, a lot of the girls in the bunk are shaving their legs. Can I shave my legs? And I was like, yeah, go for it. You know, like yeah. what's the difference? She shaves her legs today or, or okay. six months from now, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, I agree that it could really, you know, you don't want little things like that to make a big impact. They should remain little things. Yeah. Such good advice. I love it. All right. So where can people find you and your podcast and your information? Because uh, you have a great podcast that I listen to. So where can they all find you for some awesome advice and great guests and to get in touch with you? So my podcast is called The Raisology Podcast. And I I actually have a Facebook group called The Raisology Parenting Facebook group. And that's probably the best way to communicate with me. They can send me a private message if they're having any specific questions and want to hear about coaching programs. And uh, I'm on Instagram at Raisology. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking time. You're amazing. You know, I love you. I'm a big fan of the whole family, but I love you very much. And I'm so glad that you're on the podcast today. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our Shamelessly Feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.